sir. Hey, what's up, man? How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there? Yeah, yeah. Trying to count down the days until we actually have live stuff going on again. Right. I think uh, you and I think the rest of the country. Yeah, I think man. It's safe it's to time. say that. Need a break from all the just nothingness. I, uh, I, I can't remember the last time where it's been this quiet on a from a sports perspective. Um, <sighs> I think, you know, even even in the dead of winter, we still have a lot of things going on, and I just, I even try and think when I was a kid, I'm like, well, I was so busy doing my own thing, but I just don't remember ever having this much uh, time between events and things to look forward to, and it just just a different uh a different day and age that we're living in it's just... yeah yeah it is and you know the, the we always called the sports abyss was always that time around the major league all-star break because that was literally in july when nothing else was happening mm-hmm. so it was only like three or four days but it just felt like an eternity because there was like nothing else to do you know nothing else to look forward to and then now we've been in it for what four months i mean it's just nuts yeah yeah and i think when this whole thing kind of began everybody thought well it's you know, we'll see how the next few weeks go, and then a few weeks turned into a month, and then that month turned into two, and and here we are. We're just, uh, I think everybody's anxious to, uh, I, I keep saying it's the new normal. I think everybody's ready to get to whatever new normal, you know, is, is on the horizon. Um, but I want to first thank you for coming on tonight. Um, I know you're a busy guy, um, maybe not so much right now, but uh typically you are you're all over the place and i have to say i'm a big fan and uh, always enjoy you um and your play-by-play and and along with uh the rest of the midco uh staff so uh just want to say thanks and um welcome yeah thanks for having me on blaine it's it's great to chat with you and and i appreciate that um i'm really blessed to have a, a just a wonderful job i can't couldn't love it any more than i do and um you know that's the best part of of finding a passion like you have is something that you just love doing all the time so not having any you know events or live events or things to call or things to do you know for a four or five six month period is hard because you're just not used to to going that long without having something live to look forward to so uh that's the best part of the best part of uh doing the job is, is getting to sit there or sit uh, you know, up high in the press box at, on the field or on the softball field or in the track or wherever you are and to, to kind of get a, a great seat of, of what's going on. It's just, it's an awesome gig. Well, and I got to say, you you seem to do it so well. And like I said, your, your entire crew does a great job. Um, you know, that's one thing about play-by-play commentary. You know, it's, it's how can you bring uh, the action to those that maybe aren't necessarily sitting right in the stands. And um, I think I speak for a lot of people and say that you guys do a great job of that. Um, so before I had a lot I wanted to go over with you tonight, I was actually super excited when you agreed to do this because I, I have a lot of uh, uh, questions that I think you will provide great insight to. And um, I think questions that uh, we as fans um, that maybe not, maybe aren't as plugged in as you are um, can maybe help us um, get a better sense of, but I want to kind of go, um, kind of back into your, your younger days. Um, you grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, um, which is, you know, in 2013 had a population of about 85,000. So 
a very decent uh, area of the uh, of the cities. You guys had the Mall of America right down the road. Um, did you, as a kid growing up, did you visit uh, the mall, or you know, once once that became a kind of an attraction, were you a frequent visitor? Uh, you know what, we, we ended up going, I would say, quite a bit early on, Blaine, and then as time went on, because my high school was only about two miles away from the Mall of America, Bloomington Kennedy was just down the road from where that was, and then we, I think we would strategically pick our times to go and knock, just because it became such a huge attraction the first five to ten years that it was open, because of, you know, what it was, it just became this huge shopping mall, this huge tourist destination for people, because they just wanted to see something this massive. And an interesting story, actually, Blaine, is my brother, Paul, who I grew up with, mm-hmm. worked at Champ Sports in the mall, and his boss actually was Trey Lance's father, Carlton, if you can believe that. Wow. So that that is actually the, a connection that my family has with, with the Lances, and that goes back, you know, 20 years or more. But uh, it's, it's funny how, uh, how all of a sudden you come full circle and here's Trey and, and he's at NDSU and doing what he's doing. So well, it's funny how everything works out. Just when I think the world can't get any smaller. Uh, yeah. And I'm finding that out as I get a little bit older and I become um, kind of more in tune with, you know, those around me. I wouldn't say I was oblivious growing up, but just when you're younger, your your mind is in different areas. but get a little bit older and you start establishing more relationships and I I was an undergraduate student at NDSU for four years and now in their in their master's program so I've been around the uh, the campus for what seems like forever and you're exactly right there's so many connections that you don't realize um, exist until you um, start shaking a few hands and introducing yourself and um, that has to be pretty pretty cool to know that uh, your ties um are connected to a guy right now that is, um, which we're going to get into a little bit later, um, but a guy that is really starting to turn some heads if he didn't already last year. So um, that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> he certainly has, hasn't he? I mean, it's it's been wild this off season to see all the draft experts uh, to get on board here over the last four months. It's been crazy. It's insane, and I think uh, I think as Bison fans, we're we're all excited to see what what step he'll take next, which I think will be. Um, a pretty big one, but before we get too far into that, I wanted to ask. So, being from the Bloomington area, um, are you, are you a, a Vikings fan, or or are you the few that made it out of that city without being a Vikings fan? No, unfortunately, I am a Vikings fan. I'm I'm a Minnesota pro sports fan, pretty much I all knew, the way around. I knew I was going to like interviewing. I you. grew up there, and that just was the thing, you know. Oh yeah, I've and I've been I've been a Vikings fan ever since I can remember. So I always am curious when, um, and that's one thing growing up or you know having lived in Fargo for quite a few years now. It's uh, you're either bleed you know the purple, uh, or you're you're a Packers fan, and and you can sprinkle in a few other teams there. But I'm always curious to see what uh, what side uh, people are rooting for. Did you have a chance to uh, take in a few games when you were growing up at the at the Metrodome? I did. Uh, I went to more Twins games probably at the Metrodome Vikings games. I probably only went to maybe a, a half dozen Vikings games growing up. And just because it was hard to get tickets, my parents did get season tickets for a period of time uh, that they split with somebody else. So they'd get about four games a year. And then it was only two seats. 
and then they try to get two more of the people that sat next to them and sometimes would do some trade outs so that, that a few more of us could go but you know, at that period of time um the metrodome was still really a, a great football stadium that's what it was built for it wasn't a great baseball stadium but i didn't mind going to baseball games there either it was still loud uh back when the twins were you know in their heyday uh winning championships in 87 and 91 i mean the was a rock place it was loud uh, it was a fun place to, to watch how the twins used to play they build their team around speed and, and utilize what they had with the turf and the goofy angles and they got really good at that and it turned into a big home field advantage and it was loud for vikings games too i mean when you pack that place in and got sixty thousand people roaring in there it was, it was a good atmosphere uh, unfortunately i just think the dome in many ways was obsolete the day it opened you know yeah. it just at, at that point in time you know five to six to seven to eight years later baseball stadiums were going back and being built the way you know they were in the olden days i think you think back to camden yards and and that's what was really the first one in baltimore mm-hmm. that went back to the old school way and then all of a sudden the dome as great as it was to, to be a multi-purpose facility and to not have to worry about rain outs and snow outs or any of those types of things it, it just the fan experience as time went on once you got into the 90s everybody's like well we're done we're done with this place and you could kind of see the writing yeah. on the wall when when the end of the metrodome was coming and it had a good 25 years but it was it was definitely time to move on my first experience with the dome was um the the time when michael bennett was the current running back um i got to see culpepper and moss um and a lot of the kind of the the group of guys that I grew up uh, rooting for, so I, I did get a chance to see them. Um, and I remember we, it was, a, it was against the Lions, and we had seats way up. I mean, it, I felt like we, were, we could practically touch the top of the dome. And I remember my father brought uh, binoculars because we were, you know, he was like, oh, this might be for young kids. I was pretty little, so I was you know, just taking in every ounce of, of the moment. And I actually spent the majority of that game with my eyes glued, uh, to the field, looking through the binoculars and watching what was happening out on the field. Um, and I remember just the incredible noise that that dome could generate on a third down and it was deafening. I mean, I, I've had a chance to take in, you know, games, in loud venues and think that my ears are going to burst but there was something about the acoustics in that dome it just when it got to uh, a point of the game where everybody was on their feet I mean it was it was deafening and even at the Twins game like you mentioned I felt like um, while baseball is exciting in a different way uh, there were certain aspects throughout the course of a game where it got pretty loud and um, I think you know like you said it wasn't uh, the the flashiest looking of places for opponents to come into, but um, it was kind of, you know, crazy to see them, you know, in the city of Minneapolis move on from the Metrodome. Cause I felt like it was such a kind of an iconic uh, landscape, you know, to the, to the cities. And so, um, but certainly their new facility is uh, obviously it's state of the art. And have you had a chance to take, take in the new, the new um, venue? I have, yep. We went, uh, my wife and I actually have gone to a couple of games there. One against the Bears the first year the, the stadium opened, and then one, I think, uh, last, or was it last year or two years ago, we went 
as well. And that, that I mean, that's a beautiful facility. They built that for everything modern day. Uh, it is ironic sometimes that it's built right where the Metrodome was. So mm-hmm. there's times you try to imagine what it was like um, sitting where you are and say, okay, where where would this have been in the Metrodome and, and all these spots? So um, I, I'm glad that there's still a stadium there because I still feel like that's uh, the heart of downtown in that area. And it's a good spot to be and it's easy to get there. And, and all the infrastructure a lot in a lot of ways was there. And also getting a chance to go to the Final Four down there was another really cool experience and having a chance to really explore the inner workings of the building, where the media room was and all those sorts of things. So that created even a different perspective for me because I got to see parts of the the stadium that a lot of people haven't been able to see. So uh, you realize just how big that place is when, when you start realizing that and start walking around. It just takes forever to get anywhere. And uh, and all that, but I, I think that was uh, maybe the more you even more unique part for me was to be able to, to take in the Final Four to see how they did that stadium there. And then of course we broadcasted a couple of b- b- basketball games yeah. there when NDSU played Drake and South Dakota State played Northern Iowa as kind of a tune-up back uh, before they had the Final Four. So I, I've had a lot of cool experiences with that place and, and a lot of different perspectives to, to take it in, which is kind of neat. When you know, before I get into my my next question here. When you were calling those games, did you feel that it affected the players to play in a venue of that size? Because, I mean, I didn't play in anything near that size growing up, but there were certain gyms that I played in uh, basketball and where the, you know, maybe they didn't have bleachers behind uh, their hoops or or they did or something like that. And it, I guess maybe it would affected me to some degree. Did you notice that in the players when you were uh, watching watching them? The final four, you know, I didn't uh, just because of the way that they had the floor elevated and everything. And obviously it's unique and strange how it sits up and, and it does have to, it does play some tricks with you, but the fans were all still so enclosed and close to the floor and, and the fans were the way they were fanned out. It, it still was a, a pretty cool little atmosphere for the players. Now doing the NDSU game, the, the place wasn't near as full, mm-hmm. And that was a little more unique and different because the, there was just a lot of open scenes. It was cavernous. You could hear a lot that was going on on the floor. So that was a very different perspective, I think, for those guys. But even, uh, you know, between South Coast State, North Coast State, and Drake, they still shot the ball lights out. So when I talked to the players afterwards about that, they said, yeah, it took about, you know, five or seven minutes to just get adjusted mm-hmm. to everything. But once you do, then it was just, you know, it was just like a regular game. And I think you, if you asked the guys that, played the final four they'd kind of tell you the same thing it was the same for everybody and the shooting percentages were still not bad and i think uh the comfort level and how they were able to to manipulate the floor with the fans around it was still uh, still pretty cool and, and provided a decent atmosphere well and you just believe you know you just think with a a venue of that size the just the air uh, the way the ball would travel through the air would be different but um no like you said i think once you settle in and and kind of get a rhythm to the game it's just you're you're going out and do you know doing what you've done um hundreds of times in, in the in the case of the players so brian when you were when you weren't at vikings games and attending twins uh uh baseball games what activities did you um find yourself doing i mean having been in bloomington there had to have been a an array of things that you could have uh could have you know been involved in yeah i i 
I played basketball and tennis in high school. Those were my really my only two sports that I participated in. Uh, more so tennis later in my career. I kind of got out of basketball after my sophomore year and still played, but I just didn't play with the team anymore. I was I was born to Santa Maria and just kind of playing with, with the guys and stuff for fun, a lot of my friends. And still love the game. Just it got to a point where I really wasn't that good anymore. I mean, it was good, I, but I, I really wasn't going anywhere at that point in time. And then um, I actually worked. Uh, we had a, a a class that was called Kennedy Update. I went to Kennedy High School, and it was like a, a little seven to ten minute news update program, like television program that I got involved with for a couple of years. That I got involved with and just kind of learned a little bit about how. Uh, television worked and the ins and outs and, and different positions and and how everything is produced and put together. So that was good for me, uh, what, just to see that part of it because I really was interested in television from when I was really young, getting involved in that. And then I also had the chance to call a, a few different games and a few different events uh, for the community access station, uh, BET or excuse me, BK. What was it called? Bloomington Educational Channel, B BC, I think it was called okay. BC TV can't believe i can't remember that but it was like 25 years ago but i actually had a chance to call um like bloomington kennedy bloomington jefferson boys basketball game and a, and a few other games as well uh when i was there so that just gave me at least a taste of what i was doing so i tried to get more involved in that stuff because i really liked it when i wasn't playing anymore so i was really pleased to have that opportunity before i got to college just to at least have an understanding of how that process works so between that I did have a job. I worked about 15 hours a week at a sporting goods company just as a cashier and customer service and that sort of thing. And uh, between that and everything in school, I, that kept me pretty busy throughout my high school years. So your interest in, in uh, television and broadcasting was was sparked um, from a pretty young age. When So as you were going through high school um, for you know the sake of um, the question, so as a senior – had you decided that, you know, going into broadcasting and communications was something um, you really wanted to pursue, or were you still uh, weighing other um, other interests? Oh, no, I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to do when I was in grade school. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I, I couldn't get enough of watching sports and watching TV and uh, watching how everything was done and watching the development of broadcasting and, and the quality of broadcasting technology, all that stuff. I wanted to learn how to do that stuff and be a part of that. And I think a lot of kids do. And then once you get further on down the line, you realize how hard and competitive it actually is to get into. And, and a lot of people realize you, when you come out of school, you're, you're not making hardly any money at all. Mm-hmm. Your schedule is brutal. You're working nights and weekends all the time. It's high pressure. It is very stressful. Uh, a lot of deadlines, a lot of times you're working extra hours you're not getting paid for so you have you know once people get a taste of that they start thinking okay i'm going to go do something where i can actually live a normal life and get paid a lot better to work a lot less hard than i am right now so i really feel like those first couple of years when you get out of school is when it weeds people out pretty fast you know you realize okay did i just want to be on tv for the sake of being on tv or do you really love what you're doing Do you really want to do this and for me, I was all in. Like, that was a big reason why I chose to go to the University of North Dakota, because at that time, they just built a brand-new television studio that year after the flood of 97. Okay. And I went up and toured, and I was like, oh, this this, this is it right here. This place is brand-new, new technology, new studio, new lights, new everything. 
and people that were instructors there that had just been in the industry. So for me, that was a big selling point for me. It was really between that and Southwest State and Marshall because they also had a very solid broadcast program. But UND was just kind of sold to me because I felt like a really good fit for me, just the size of the campus and the town. And I was still far enough away from home, which I think was important for me. I did want to get far enough away from home. So that's kind of how it went for me uh, when I was making that decision. And, And the broadcasting program played a role in where I went. And that's why I ended up going to UND. Would you say that when you, you, you I, I get the sense that you had a pretty good idea of, of maybe the um, amount of work that you were going to have to put in. Um, but as you got more involved, um, you know, going through your time at, at the University of North Dakota, were there was there ever a point where you felt like maybe this isn't quite what I want to do or was there ever any doubt that um because it just you know I there I'm sure and I I probably speak for a lot of other people you get so invested into one thing and you kind of maybe have tunnel vision and you get involved you know start going through the motions or through the process I should say and there might be certain blimps where you're you think to yourself am I making the right decision did you ever have those thoughts at all absolutely yeah, you go through that. You go through self-doubt of, you know, how good am I really at, at this? And and that's the thing is to really move forward in the business and to actually make a decent life for yourself. You, it's a lot of it is hard work and, and getting better and improving and learning and putting in the hours. But a lot of it too is, you know, and I hate to say it, Blaine, but a lot of it is God given too. Sometimes sure. you just have it or you don't. And, right. and, and there are certain people that I, you know, you go through the program with, and the instructors would, you know, you say they would try to even talk them out of it. Like, I, I know you want to do this, but you just don't have it. You're like, you know, have you thought about something else? Have you thought about maybe the marketing side or another area side? Because what draws you in, I think, sometimes when you're younger, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, is just the thought of being on TV. I want to be yeah. on TV and, yep. and and all this sort of thing. And, and it, that luster wears off pretty fast. I mean, you start realizing that the time you spend on TV is just a very small fraction of your day. I mean, it's, it's a very small fraction. You're working nine, 10, 11 hours shooting video, editing, writing scripts, doing all this stuff that you're running around trying to get highlights, edit everything with, you know, like, you know, chicken with your head cut off and yeah. try to get a suit and tie on and get on the set. And the least stressful time of your day is when you're actually on the set for that three or four or five minutes that you can actually broadcast or anchor. Um, you know, so that's when you're starting off and cutting your teeth, you start realizing real fast that yeah, this is work. This is not just showing up, putting on a suit and tie and sports center and being a funny guy and all this yeah. sort of stuff. That's not how it works. And I think that's the part that a lot of people don't understand when they get into it is is that aspect of it. A lot of other people want to jump into the play by play side. And that's even harder because you have to get a gig and you have to be good enough to at least get that first gig. And to get that second gig, you have to be better than hundreds of other people that are trying to move up at the same time. Right. And, and it's it's tough, you know, and, and to get those opportunities are hard. And when you get them, you got to make the most of them and try to get as, as good as you can and then hope you have it and have a voice and have the ability to just settle in and, and get better and, and make a life for yourself. And I think a lot of people in their 20s realize after three, four, five years, some it takes longer that you know what this this just isn't going anywhere and i had that moment i got out of it blaine and when i was 30 years old and i got married 
I was still a weekend sports anchor. I was trying to move up. I was applying for jobs everywhere. I could not get a taste. I didn't even get a call back. I think I got one mm. call back in my time at KVOY. And I got out. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do PR. I want to live a normal life. I'm burnt out. It wasn't the station's fault. It was mine. I let myself get into that abyss. And then you get out. And then, ironically enough for me, my best opportunities came when I left broadcasting. I came back freelancing part-time for KVOY, getting a great opportunity. It just happened to be the right place and the right time when I was working at the Red Cross where they are like, hey, you know, our sports director left. Our new guy isn't ready. Can you step in and do football? I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, yeah. it was just a golden opportunity. And the biggest reason I got that opportunity is I did not leave on bad terms with the station. I thanked them. And that's I huge. told them I appreciated it. Uh, I had, still had a great relationship with the people at NDSU, Gene Taylor and Jeremy and all those guys. So it worked out. And, and I filled a need, and I started doing it back in 2012. And I didn't know if there was going to be another opportunity in 2013, and there was, and then in 14 and 15. And I just kept coming back, and they kept wanting me back, <laughs> yeah. and I felt like I kept getting better. And so sometimes you never know where your opportunities are going to come from. Sometimes they're going to be in the most weird spots that you could never plan out your entire life. And, you know, here I am now, <laughs> 10 years later, yeah. after getting out of broadcasting full-time, saying I'm done, and I'm back doing it, and I'm doing exactly what I want to do. So it's it's a funny road sometimes. The best advice that I ever – well, I, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, one of the great pieces of advice that I've received uh, was my freshman year of uh, – at NDSU, I came in – so when I was in high school, it, I, I felt like school came relatively easy to me. I didn't feel like I was overly stressed or had to – you know, and I think a lot of high schoolers maybe feel the same way. You don't feel like you've got to put in 110% effort to get the grade on the back end. Well, I, I quickly learned my, my freshman year uh, that that approach wasn't going to work. And I was actually a pre-pharmacy major before I inevitably ended up um, pursuing sport management. But in my, my uh, intro to pharmacy, I can't even remember the course name, but the the instructor got up one morning and the first thing he asked all of us sitting um was i want or he you know he said i want you to close your eyes and then he proceeded to ask us you know can you envision yourself 15 20 25 30 years from now waking up with the same enthusiasm about your prospective career as you feel today and that really hit me because I had never really been asked a question like that. Like, could I picture myself years from now doing that line of work? And when you think back to when you're younger, you don't think beyond probably the next day or two. You know, there, everything is, uh, you're just worried about growing up at that point. But that was the first time that I'd been challenged by a question like that. And I, after the first semester, realizing that I just didn't have the interest that I thought I would pursuing um, a career along those lines, I made the choice to switch. Um, I actually did, I was just a business major at one point, then I wanted to do finance. Uh, and long story short, you know, found sport management kind of just, it sounds weird, but just scrolling through the list of uh, 
programs that NDSU had to offer. And I clicked on the link and I read through it and I'm like, this is, this is what I want to do. I love, uh, and you know, the, when people think of sport management, they think of, you know, sports. Well, it's so much more than that. It's everything but the actual event that's probably happening on the field or the court. You know, it has to do with, you know, the uh, the event side, the the sponsorships, the, you know, the marketing, all these different things. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so, like you attest, Brian, it's unorthodox kind of how we reach those points in our lives. And I don't think I ever would have thought um, that I would find as much enjoyment pursuing those endeavors um, as a youngster, you know, because I had had this kind of impression that, well, I'm going to do pharmacy and um, that's that's the way it's going to go. Well, I learned quickly that in a, in, a, in a sense, it's okay to change course if you know that what you're maybe going to pursue then is is you're passionate about it. You don't have to think about whether or not you want to do it or not. It's no, I want to do this and do it at 110%. So, um, we, I think there's some similarities there between both of those, um, kind of experiences that we've had. So you, you said that your opportunity, um, to do, or to work at Midco and become um, involved from a broadcasting and play-by-play um, that kind of came through those channels. What what do you think poses, um, in talking in today's world, what do you think poses the biggest challenge to broadcasting, especially, and you can even factor in what we have going on with the current um, health crisis? I, I think the biggest challenges with broadcasting are continuing to find ways of bringing the product to people at home in new and creative ways without getting stuck in the same rut. I think, you know, from, from all those of us, from the producers, directors, graphics, people behind the scenes, we constantly have to look back at ourselves and say, what do we need to get better? What do we need to try to change or how can we change things up to just be a little bit better than we were and I, those are things that I think over the course of every year that's what you're doing right now typically you're, you're spending a lot of time looking back technologically streaming has become bigger and bigger how can we look into streaming options how can we become more efficient in terms of getting it in more people's hands because people are watching on tablets and iPhones mm-hmm. and everything so you know you got to be more accessible well we're addressing that right now. We're developing an app in a streaming system um, internally to try to reach those goals and reach more households and generate more sponsorship dollars that way. Because ultimately, the biggest thing you have to do is you want to bring these things, you want to do a good job of it, but ultimately you got to monetize it, right? You, you got to make money at it. That's, right. that's going to be, continue to be the challenge when there's so many different platforms, so many different broadcasts, uh, you know, so much competition for those dollars, for those advertising dollars, that you're going to set yourself apart, and and you can do that with your technology, your money, uh, you know, giving different businesses different opportunities on different platforms. So that, to me, is always going to be the challenge because the one thing that people do not DVR these days 
is live sports. People right. still want to watch sports live. So when it comes to shows and movies, and, and we all know about Netflix, but sports is one thing when it's happening live. People want to watch when it's happening if they can, right? They don't want to wait and watch it later because it's happening now. So that's the one advantage I think sports has, and that's going to be the one thing that I, I think you, you kind of hold your hat on moving forward is people want to watch it here and now. They want it to be part of their experience. They want it to be part of their routine. So the biggest thing is making sure it's it's created in a way that people like and enjoy to watch, whether you're hearing it, whether you're seeing it, whatever the case may be, but also giving people the easiest platforms and easiest ways of watching that too, no matter where they're located. So that that's what I would say is the biggest ones right now. Do you think there's an oversaturation of streaming um, platforms nowadays? I wouldn't say it's an oversaturation only because I believe – in the not too distant future, I believe that's how all sports are going to be watched. I'm not saying that where television is going away, mm-hmm. but I'm saying it's going to be way more of a norm for people to watch with high speed internet than what it's been in the past. I just think that's that's what that's where we're going. That's where the technology is going. Is on a click of a button, you can watch on your phone, your tablet, your computer, your wherever you are, and you can watch it and, and not have to have a network television set right there. So is there an oversaturation? There's a lot of networks. There's a lot of people that are broadcasting a lot of games and everybody's trying to do it to the best of their ability. They're trying to do it as cheaply and efficiently as possible and also trying to do it in a way that is uh, going to make money. I mean, the Big Ten network was a huge success. Right. I mean, that has worked out really well for the Big Ten. Yeah. Other conferences are trying to, to, to mimic that. The University of Texas created their own network and that's worked really well for them. I mean, they're on ESPN streaming platforms. So, you know, you just have to find a way to be unique and do it well enough that people are going to want that product, pay for it, uh, no matter, you know, which way they get it. And, you know, you're even seeing now with the Pac-12 network, you know, guys aren't, you know, broadcast teams aren't going to the location all the time. They're calling games from studios to save money. Yeah. And they're trying to be, and that's become more of a norm. And I hope that never happens here because I can't fathom the idea of not going to North Fargo and, you know, doing a game live in, in, in the venue. But right. that's also become a way of, of efficiency, right? It, of just limiting how many people you have on site and trying to direct things more. And, and we've done that at Minco. You know, we have centralized production where we'll have our producer in Fargo, our director in Grand Forks, our graphics and other people are in Sioux Falls. And, and we'll only have six people at the venue. So, I mean, there are ways you can do that without having to travel a 25-person crew to every city, and that's that's also been a, a very good thing for us in terms of efficiency. Well, and I think the the idea that comes to mind is just uh, separation. How can you separate yourself among, like you said, all of the different streaming platforms and and broadcast networks? And do you think in a in a in a Midwest market? that there's as much of a threat to that concept as it, you know, obviously it would be if you even moved, you know, east four hours into the cities. Do you think being in the Midwest is actually an advantage to, you know, you, you're already in, unique in, its, in, your, in your own right because you can maybe have the app and the, and the, uh, the different platforms only because there's only a few networks out there do you think that's an advantage um that you guys take you know that you guys look at 
Yeah, I think it is. I think it's an advantage. And, and again, we are still very much a rural area, right? North mm-hmm. Dakota, as much as, you know, we have Florida Moorhead and Cass County has 180,000 people in this area and, and the state has, you know, almost 900,000. There's a lot of people out there that don't have internet in, in rural areas or quality internet and don't have uh, the ability to, you know, dial things in and, and watch and listen that way. And they rely on uh, their, whether it's their direct cable signal or their network, you know, they, they only get four channels and that's how they watch. So there, there is some degree to reach all those people and to make sure that you're, you're getting in every household. There's a, there's an advantage there, um, you know, for that, from that standpoint where it's, it's a little trickier sometimes, but I think as every year goes by, you're getting more technology into more communities and more communities and you're building out and you're building out and you're building out where now you have to have at least some quality internet to even to be efficient how they do their business. Right. So it's 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 been an interesting to watch how that has progressed um, in television across the board and, and how people are getting their news. And you know we have seen how other entities are to more of an online presence and less physical presence. You know, the Fargo Forum is a good example, how they're doing business now, more of an online paper. I mean, that's not something I think people could have fathomed 20 years ago is that they were not going to have a physical printed paper to hold in their hand every day. Right. But that's where we are right now. You know, that's what that's that's where things are going. And, and as much as it's going to be hard for some people to adjust to that because they're so used to the way things were, at some point, that's how everything is going to be just because right. financially, from an efficiency standpoint, that's only the, the really going to be the only way to do business. I'm not saying that's going to happen tomorrow or even in five or ten years, but at some point, we're going to get there. So, obviously, the the question now is with COVID, I mean, how are you approaching and, and your colleagues approaching this this uh, upcoming uh what we what we all hope sports season. Well, I mean, we're planning on every everything going on a schedule, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. all we can do, and we're we're hopeful that we'll have things to broadcast because we broadcast over two hundred live events at Midco SN every year, right? And that that's what we do. That's that's how we do sports, right? That's what we always say, and that goes from high school to college to to everything in between there. So, you know, our plan and our schedule is that we're going to ha- we're, we're going to go on a schedule. You know, we have had to cancel everything that we ha- obviously had on the on the books for everything past the Summer League tournament. You know, we did the Summer League semifinals. That was our last broadcast that we did way back in early March. And everything else that we had planned is just was just is gone. Mm-hmm. And to not have a live event that you're doing for 6 months on a network that prides itself on live events, it's it's been a real challenge, but the one positive for us is we've been able to save some money from not having the expenses of doing it too. So we've been able, you know, to, to try to find a, find that balance of still keeping a social media presence. I, I feel like we've done a good job of still having some things out there to make sure that people still know we're, we're active and we're keeping busy. We're still doing re-airs of old games. Uh, we're, we have different contests on social media. We're doing trivia on social media live on Facebook live. And, and those sorts of things to try to still stay in people's homes and stay on people's top of minds. And, you know, our, our plan right now is that we're going full steam ahead. And in early September, we're going to be back on the air doing what we do. And until somebody says different, <laughs> that's, right. that's what our plan is. Yeah. And, and, and um, I think a lot of people are taking that approach of um, 
and honestly controlling what you can control right now there's a lot of uh think uh, things that up until this point that a lot of people haven't been able to control um i think going into this year nobody would have predicted anything near as um impactful and um just a, an upheaval to our our lives that we as we knew it um so i would say from yeah from same perspective here just doing what you can do and um preparing as if uh you're you're going to be a go um once the fall and and those activities start kind of as we can start circling our calendars again that's something that i've missed the most is i i tend to subscribe to a lot of schedule you know like uh, schedules that you can find online and i love when my calendar i go in and look and i'm like oh okay we've got you know games this week and we've got a couple games this weekend and you know and as a sports fan that's just something um you you really enjoy is because of all of the different things that um are out there well when that's not when that's not the case or what it has has not been the case for the last several months um like you said at this point you're just like okay let's get through this week okay let's get through the next two weeks all right you know things are things are maybe getting you know a little bit back to square one um so it's definitely it's been hard just as a fan of of wanting to go to those events and being patient I had tickets to the Lakers um, Timberwolves game, and I, I'm a big uh, LeBron James fan, and wanted to see him. I had I've seen him as a as a Cavalier and as as a Heat. I had to see him as a Laker. Well, you know that went out the window pretty quickly, and and so you just realize that what you had before is um, it's special. It's special to be able to do. Um, to go to those events and on for your sake Brian to be able to call those games you um, are the host of the uh, bison basketball show and you call a, um, all of the men's and women's games for the uh, for NDSU um, so just from from the your impressions and your time around the program what is what is the NDSU's um, success? What has that shown you um, as you've if you've gotten to know the program, the the coaches involved? Um, what what are your impressions of, of everything that they've accomplished thus far? You know, I, I think the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is once you see the program up close and really get to, to know the players and know the coaches and, and talk with them about their process of how they do things. So, you know, it, so much of what like Dave Richmond in terms of how he goes about it is everything he is doing is trying to build a team to play their best basketball in March. And they have the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I even felt like the year before Paul Miller senior year, they were still playing better than what they were the year before that. So there's a process you just keep buying into. And even when things aren't going well, you just stay the course and don't deviate from that or panic when things aren't going well right. it's so easy to say well this isn't working oh my god we need to just change it up and just change our offense and do things differently or change our road schedule and how we do things and and that's that doesn't always you know that's not always good i think sometimes young coaches have a tendency or new coaches have a tendency to do that 
where I think coaches that are experienced just believe in what they do. And I, and to a, to a degree, it, maybe it's a stubbornness, mm-hmm. but it's also like, I believe that this will help us later. It's not about December, January, it's about March. And going through these growing pains now are going to help us down the road. And, you know, Dave believes in what he believes in. He believes in taking care of the ball and rebounding and, and playing defense. And it's not the most fun thing always to watch them grind through games. You know, it's not like watching South Dakota State, you know, under TJ Osselberger where they're, you know, their idea of defense is beating you 95-94. You know, right. and that, yeah, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Mike Dobbs score 40 points and get up and down and all these sorts of mm-hmm. things. But, you know, where NDSU, when it comes to tournament play, the, the one thing they do well is they rebound, they defend without fouling. They're a really good free throw shooting team. You know, so they always stay in games. They play low possession games, and that's what wins. That's what gets you where you are, and that's what keeps you consistent from year to year is how you play. It's not necessarily the talent, but what you're able to do with that talent and how you develop it and how you play it. So that was a big thing for me is, you know, even I've been kind of skeptical about some of the way Dave goes about things. Like, why is he doing that or doing this? Yeah. Even Steven and I, you know, we sit there at timeouts, and Steven's like, I wonder why they're doing this. And, we'll, you know, we, we love second-guessing because that's what we do as broadcasters, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think Dave and his staff, they really understand their kids. They know what they do well. They're recruited to a certain system, and that's why uh, ultimately they've had a lot of success. And even in Jory's first year with the women, it's a totally different ball game, man. I can't even tell you how uh, how much different of a mindset it is, uh, much more accountability, much more toughness. He's got a great balance between being tough and, and still being – uh, an enjoyable guy to play for. And I think the kids really respect him. And, and the fact that they've made the leaps they did in year one, I think that's a lot to look forward to, too. And as a fan of just of both the men's and women's, it was um, encouraging to see the women have um, more, I, I, I don't, you know, more bright spots than they've had in, in seasons past. And I think um, he's going to continue to do a great job molding that team Um getting that team to play uh to his vision you know and and what he wants to accomplish and i'm excited to see what the women's what the women's program is is gonna look like here in a few years and um even this you know upcoming season i think a lot of people um are are excited and i I don't want to make it seem like they weren't in the past but it was some some struggles there and uh i think any program is going to go through growing pains um that's the beauty of sports, I would say there's, um, you know, a lot of ebbs and flows, but the women's program was, it was something that I remember coming to women's games growing up, uh, visiting my, my sister who attended NDSU. And, um, it's just exciting to see them get back to a level of play that I think, uh, is representative of what both, um, programs are capable of and from the men's side I so I spoke with uh Dexter um last week and he and I were talking about coach Richmond and I actually uh which I mentioned last week I I spent a season with the men's team as a student manager um so I got to do um you know all of the kind of the dirty work wipe up sweat you know grip water bottles all those fun things, but I got to learn a lot, um, not only from being around the players, but the coaching staff. And one thing I really respected about Coach Richmond is he he doesn't sugarcoat anything, and he is as 
probably straightforward and blunt as of a person you'll meet. Um, I remember the very first day of practice, he had us, all of the new student managers, stand up in front of the team and introduce ourselves one by one. And when I got to me, I, instead of saying exactly what town I grew up in, I said, oh, I grew up in a small town north of Minot. Um, most people won't know of where it is. And before I even had a chance to finish, he cut me off and he said, tell me exactly where you're from. And in that moment, I was like, I kind of froze. And then I said, you know, Mohal, North Dakota. And he said, see, you want to be proud of where you come from and, you know, represent uh, your roots a little bit. And that kind of stuck with me. And it, and he has a unique way of doing that same approach or that same thing um, with all of his players. And I really gained a lot of respect from him over the course of the season because I had seen him coach in years past, but to get behind the scenes and to see how a guy ticks, um, you're like you said, he, I would say he's a little bit stubborn. Um, but I think again, like you said, he knows what he's doing or he believes in what he's doing. And so if you're patient, you pay attention to the details, you do the little things, you don't overlook one practice. You don't get, you know, you don't, see too far down the road you take care of what's in front of you it really shows and he did a great job with the teams um with that team that year that I was a part of the uh with the team and then um since then being a person that comes to the games and watches from the stands has continued to really solidify himself as as one of the uh better coaches in in the country I mean at a mid-major program um you know having beaten some of the the teams that he has in the tournament, I mean, those aren't easy tasks, you know, and you have to believe in what you're doing in order to do that. So I, I think uh, this year is going to be great. And um, it, it was too bad that the, the season got cut short. Um, what were your thoughts on on the NCAA tournament not happening and and just kind of how it affected um, you as, as someone that enjoys, you know, those events? And then how do you think it affected the, the players involved? Oh, it was crushing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to say the least. <laughs> uh, you know, it was crushing. I, I wanted to, I mean, I was more, I was so looking forward to going with the team again and, you know, having a chance to take take the charter with them throughout the last time they made the NCAA tournament to go with them to Dayton and then go with them out to South Carolina and be a part of that whole experience and kind of follow their day-to-day routine it was really fun. It was, it was a great, great time. It was good for me. It was a lot of work, obviously, but it was, it was very rewarding to, to see that and be a part of that. And I was looking forward to doing that again, you know, wherever they were going. Like, you know, with these guys, especially with guys like Tyson and Vinny, you know, guys I have just a ton of respect for that have given so much of themselves and are just really awesome people, you know, and really mm-hmm. great kids. And uh, I was looking forward to watching them on their last hurrah and their last dance, do what they were going to do and, and give whoever was going to be a two or three seats and fits. And, you know, just the way North Dakota State was built, they just played so well against UND. I was like, man, they just carry this momentum in and this swagger in. This could be a lot of fun to watch. And to just see it all just come crumbling down and see no tournament at all and not know what, you know, what the, what the future was going to bring and everything just stopped. Uh, it was tough. It was tough. I was tough on them. You know, it, it was not the way, you know, certainly they wanted it to go. They, you know, they wanted their shot on the big stage again, and they earned that. Mm-hmm. 
but in a lot of other ways, when you talk to a couple of the guys, they feel fortunate they at least got their conference tournament in and they got to celebrate a tournament championship and got that thrill of what it was like to, to dance at half court and hold up the trophy and, and you know, say, Hey, we're going to the dance and all because so many mid major conferences didn't even get a game in. They just canceled the whole right. thing. Yeah before they had that. So at least the Bison have that. They have that experience. They can still hang their hat on that. We went out on top. We earned our bid. Yes, we didn't play, but we still got that. We still won three games down in Sioux Falls. And, you know, it, the worst part would have been always wondering what would have happened had that tournament been cut short a day. NDSU, UND, 300th meeting all time between the two yeah, programs. that would have been. And for that not to have happened, and us always wonder would have been, like, the worst thing ever, too. You know, right. Well, and considering the historical, like you said, the historical impact, uh, the the worst thing in sports is the unknown. You know, and so I completely agree. Had had that contest never happened, it it would be hard to it'd be hard to gear up for another season, knowing that there was some unfinished business, maybe um, you know, from the season before. Brian, I want to talk a little bit about um, NDSU football because you um, obviously do your fair share of coverage for the team. NDSU has continued to just go on this unprecedented run of national titles. What is the biggest threat to NDSU and its reign over the FCS landscape? The biggest threat? Oh, that's hard to say because they are... You know, I just think there's there's always that threat of of a ravage of injuries in a certain position group, or you know, a certain recruiting class just doesn't pan out, um, or kids just don't develop a certain way, and all of a sudden you get thin in some spots and you get a little vulnerable, which is what I think it happened in 2016 when they played James Madison. They just yeah. had so many guys out, and and they were playing backups of backups, and James Madison was healthier they were stronger up front of both sides of the ball and that's ultimately why they were able to come into Fargo and win and I think you know for NDSU the big key is always is is not having your frontline guys but having capable guys behind them that are that can step up and play and not have much of a drop off if at all and player development is so key from year to year in the weight room and, and in the system and how they operate and how they do things and keeping the same mentality I think too and that's where I think the last two coaching staff uh, changes when it's, you know, but it was Chris Kleiman coming after Craig Bull, and then it was Matt. They were both on the staff prior to taking over the head coaching job. So I think the threat is always there of, of just, you know, things just falling apart a certain way. And, and, uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunate circumstances sometimes happen, you know, and, mm-hmm. and those types of things. But NDSU has had to play. And every week, they are somebody's Super Bowl. Every week, you have to be up and be ready to play. That is so hard to do. Yeah. To just have to be ready for it. And, and you have to somehow keep that same mentality from year to year to year. And that's not always driven by coaches. That's driven by the leaders, by the juniors and seniors, the fourth and fifth year players. And to me, that has to continue to be the case. You have to have really strong upperclassmen to show the, the lower classmen how things are done and not to let those guys slide and to hold them accountable and, and keep those guys coming so that they're strong leaders. And there's a lot of mentorship there and a lot of toughness. There. 
So if that's going to be a big thing that has to continue is that strong culture of accountability, not only from coach to player, but player to player. And I, you know, I remember I was in the dome for that uh, game against James Madison, and it just felt like every, you know, it's almost like they had, you know, eyes on the playbook. It just, we just could never quite get that momentum flowing enough in our direction to really uh, take over that game. And like you said, they were uh, just faster off the ball. Uh, it just seemed like they were, their hits were maybe lingering a little bit longer. Um, so it was definitely, like you said, there was some vulnerability there. And one thing that I, I've been so impressed with, with NDSU and, and everything that they've accomplished um, from the football perspective is the they do the coaching staff and like you said and there's accountability all over the place because you don't win as many national titles as they have without everybody being held accountable but I think one point that sticks out to me is their ability to have their players focus on the task in front of them and that's the next opponent not necessarily getting back to Frisco you know uh getting to the to the playoffs it's any time that I've had a chance to take a post-game interview in or um, when you you know interviewed maybe a, a, a coach or whoever they will all say the same thing is focusing on what's in front of them and not getting too far down the road because I mean as an incoming player how how do you not think about the potential to play for a national title that season because you you've seen what's been done in the past. I mean, there has to be this incredible anxiousness because while you still have to go out and play the games to know that that's a real possibility for you and your program, um, that has to be really exciting for, especially for a younger, younger guy. But I think the, like you said, the upperclassmen have done such a great job from each season, you know, basically, kind of taking that off the board right away saying look we're not going to accomplish anything until we um focus on today's practice and then we focus on you know once tomorrow is here we focus on that and I mean I just think that's incredibly impressive and you you know there's a lot of great programs out there uh that do a lot of great things but I think NDSU um which has been uh obviously I think the country is more aware than it ever has been of what goes on here in Fargo. Um, and I think I would say we're kind of a, we've, we've maybe set kind of a, a mold for other programs, you know, well, how, look at, look at what NDSU's done. Look at how they approach things. So it's really, really been impressive. So it's hard not to talk about, you know, there's a lot of key guys on this NDSU football team. Um, but certainly the guy that, you know, everybody's going to talk about, uh, right now is Trey Lance. He had historically one of the best seasons at the quarterback position, um, for as young as he is. So Brian, in your opinion, what type of ceiling does he possess and what is his legitimate shot at cracking a top 10 NFL draft board more consistently? I know he's been, you know, talked about as of recent but where do you see this this guy going boy (laughs) and that's a tough question dollar question right i mean is his ceiling is what 
it gets everybody so excited because what he did as a redshirt freshman, I mean, he just turned 20 years old. You know, he, he's not by any means a, a polished or finished product or has a right. He'll be the first to tell you that, right? I mean, he's yeah. he'll be the first to tell you, I still miss throws I should have made last year. There's a read I didn't make I should have, or I saw something too late. I mean, the guy watches just a ton of film. And people's like, how can he be so good so fast? Well, I'm like, you know, which, what we just talked about, he watched easton prepare mm-hmm. you know for an entire year how easton goes about his business how much film he watches what he's looking for when he watches film and that's part of it too it's not just well i watched a couple hours of film yeah, but, you know do you know what you're looking for when you're watching it and uh, you know randy hedberg has done such a good job with those guys too is is you know cleaning up any little mechanical thing i mean tight you know real tight uh throwing motions and not having a real long throwing motion and Trey really cleaned that up I thought from year one to year two his his delivery much more consistent the ball's coming out much quicker uh, I think he made his read so well the one thing I think that really stands out to him as such a young guy that to me stands out and I think to a lot of people around the country that watches him is his poise yeah you know the pocket yeah. starts around him and he just has a he just feels pressure he knows how to to step away, he knows when to get out of dodge, he knows when to step up. He just has that innate ability, and that is so hard to teach young quarterbacks is not to get happy feet and just run and get out of there right away when you get the first sign of pressure. He hangs in there, trusts what's going on around him, and just has that innate ability to make plays happen when there's still a lot of activity going on in the pocket. So, uh, you know, the big thing I think for Trey is just, again, consistency consistency from snap to snap play to play trusting his reads you know he's a full field quarterback he's not a spread guy where he you know looks at the sideline they tell him what to run and he focuses on one side of the field or the other based on where his safety lines up you know he is making all the reads at the line of scrimmage they go in there with double calls he puts him in the right one and 98 percent of the time he's getting them in the right one and they're running at 100 miles an hour and it's good so, you know, Trey mentally is, is much further along than a lot of other quarterbacks are. Carson or Easton at this point in their career are not even close. Sure. I mean, Trey's ahead of them mentally. Yeah. And physically, he's not far behind either one of them either. He may even be ahead of Easton already. So, uh, you know, I, I, the ceiling is what is exciting for him because I, I believe uh, he's got a lot more in him. <laughs> yeah. And that's scary to think based on what we saw in his freshman year. <laughs> Do you think it's kind of, and this might seem counterintuitive to say, but so all he's done is is win games, and I I know there's this there's that adage in sports that losing can also teach you um, a lot, and obviously you don't want you know as a fan of 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 the football program, and I don't want to see them lose a game ever, but in in Trey's case. Uh, I would say outside of a of a playoff game and a and a hopefully a a national title game, I do you do you think maybe losing a a game might I don't want to say um, check him but maybe bring him bring him back down to reality. Do you think there's any of this um, kind of Superman persona right now because he's had this success so and he's had a lot of it. I, I don't think so. I really don't. I, the one thing about Trey that that's amazing when you talk to him is he he stays super grounded. And if you met his parents, Carlton and Angie, you kind of see why. 
they're just such down to earth, such good people. Uh, his even his brother is such a sharp young man. He's, he's going to be a senior in high school. The buyers have offered him as a receiver, but Trey is very grounded in his faith. Uh, and and that and football, he loves it. It's what he does. It's what he's good at. You know what he's passionate about. But right up there is his, you know, what he does with his faith, the religion, and his relationship with God. That's huge to him. Uh, he spends a lot of time on that. That's been a big part of his life ever since he was in high school. And I even think, you know, talking to him even after games they win, uh, he's still not happy with some of the things he's done. He, sure. I missed too many throws. I. You know, he's still pretty critical of himself, even the times they win. I don't think it takes a loss for him to feel like uh, he didn't do well. I, I think he, they, that he puts a pretty high standard on himself, and I, I think he knows what he's capable of doing. And I think he understands he's not going to go through the rest of his football life for the next 15 years or whatever it is and think he's not going to lose a game. I mean, right. no one has that mentality. He's not going to go 16-0 every year like, like he did last year. And I know he hasn't experienced a loss in college yet because even the year before they were undefeated. But um, I, I just feel like Trey uh, will always constantly look at himself and, and thinks he needs to improve and get better. And Randy will continue to work on those things with him too. I, I just don't think this hype that's going on and noise around him, I, me personally, just knowing him, I can't see that having this this impact to him where he's just going to turn into a different person. I, I just, I can't see that happening. He's just not built that way. Well, and if he ever listens to this, I, I want him to know that I don't want him to lose a game as long, you know, for as long as he's in a Bison uniform and, and well into his uh, career after this. But it just is an interesting question because so much of with, you know, social media and, and how it seems like there's more eyes on young athletes um, than there ever has been it's just always I'm always curious to to get insight from other people on on you know what what what's the is there a crack in the foundation and from what it sounds like and from what I've seen it I don't think uh I don't think there is this guy seems like he is just he's uh he's different and he's different in a good way um and I think he he's gonna bring uh a a I think there's been a, a gold standard at the quarterback position at NDSU for quite some time. Um, a lot of really, really good players have played the position and he just, I think he continue, he'll continue to carry that torch of great quarterbacks to come out of this program for, from a recruiting perspective. And I know you're pretty plugged in um, from the recruiting side of things. So the golden Gophers uh, have had success as of late um, and I think that program is becoming more, it, it, it's picking up steam. So from that, do you see there being a threat to NDSU's ability to recruit out of the cities and areas around, um, uh, around Minneapolis? I, I don't. And here's why, here's why I think that, Blaine. I actually think PJ Fleck at Minnesota has been, probably good for NDSU because I think Fleck is doing much better nationally recruiting than a lot of his predecessors have, have done. So I don't feel like, you know, there's some, some of those fringe kids that are in state in Minnesota mm -hmm. that might, that you know, could maybe be a walk on in Minnesota or come to NDSU on, on a scholarship and play. I, I still think NDSU more often than not is going to win that kid. Not all the time, but for a lot of times they will. 
And if Lex done a much better job recruiting uh, other areas besides the state, yeah, he's going to get the stud in-state kid. More than likely, they're, if they get the offer from Minnesota or Iowa, Wisconsin, they're going to go to that one of those, right? Mm-hmm. But I still think there's enough in-state kids that NDSU can find that they can out-recruit other FBS schools, especially at the G5 level, and then other FCS programs around and get them up to Fargo. And, and they've shown that consistently. They've been able to out-recruit pretty much everybody in the valley and the cities and, and really pick who they want and even out recruit a lot of the G5 schools from the MAC, from the Mountain West, some of those programs and get them to come to NDSU because of the national championship part of it. So I still think there's a lot of those kids out there that aren't quite Minnesota kids or, you know, maybe PJ found kids in, in a different part of the country he likes better that, that fill that need. They just don't have spots there that any issue are still able to find. And Matt Entz over the years has such good relationships in that area. And Grant Olson, who played down there, has good relationships with coaches and programs. I think they'll continue to do really well there. You know, and that's and that's something that it's interesting to see because when I when I saw the hire uh, of PJ Fleck at um, uh, with the Gophers, I was I was really I wouldn't say concerned, but I was interested to see how um, how first how the program would would take off under his direction and obviously um he's done a great job up to this point and so that was that was what begged the question of well is he now recruiting at a level that um like you said those friend uh well he's gonna get those in-state studs but then those guys that are on the fringe is he now able to you know lure those guys to maybe give you know that his program a look maybe over ndsu um but NDSU has done a great job uh, over the years in their recruiting efforts, getting um, players from you know Florida and California and parts of the country that uh, I think you know even ten years ago, ten twelve years ago were were maybe I wouldn't say out of the question, but it was really hard. You know, I think it was, um, and success will play a large role in that. And um, you know when you're able to win national titles and and you know put a product like NDSU has out on the field that's definitely going to help your recruiting so with that um kind of is my segue into this upcoming season what are what are your predictions for this for this season and should the game against Oregon happen i know there was some trepidation on why they're you know that was still going to take place if that were to happen uh what do you think ndsu's chances are and and how do they uh fare the rest of the season well i i still think any issues the team to be in the fcs and you know i know there's going to be some holes they have to replace on the defensive side more so than the offensive side i think the offense is nine starters back and that includes four offensive linemen and watson and scrolls and you know a, a stable of running backs and obviously trey who's <laughs> yeah we've talked about a lot so i mean i still feel like the offensively they they feel good about what they have coming back and what they're going to be able to do on that side of the ball you know defense you got to replace some guys that that are tough to replace Derek tuska jabril cox transferring uh you know james hendricks was you know just an ultimate playmaker back at safety marquise bridges would turn him really solid corner i never really felt like he got enough credit when he was here he was a really good football player yeah and i hope he finds himself in a camp because that kid is really good. He's got really good ball skills. He's a good tackler. He plays everywhere. Uh, so, I mean, they got some some 
spots, they got to find some guys to step in and play and be ready to go. And they're probably not as deep maybe in some of those areas as they've been in the past. And I think you're always anxious to see how some of those freshmen and redshirt freshmen, how they progress from year one to year two or year two to year three and how much, you know, can they help and how much better are they going to be than what they were last year to try to step into these roles. And, you know, to say how they're going to fare against Oregon, it's hard to say, right? I mean, I, with what Oregon has coming back on defense, they should be really good. They were yeah. a good defensive team last year, and they got almost everybody back again. Uh, you know, they got a, an offensive lineman that's considered maybe the best offensive lineman in the country that could be like a top five pick in the draft next year. Um, you know, they got to replace their quarterback. So how does that issue, you know, stand up to that? I I always go into it thinking I don't know how that's going to go, but I I felt that same way when they played at Kansas State in thirteen. I felt right. the same way they went down to Iowa and played there in sixteen. I was like, I don't know if they can really hang with these guys, and then they win both times. So I think they're going to find a way to go out there and compete. Now, Oregon is well-coached. they got really good players. Their their system is good. But NDSU, to me, still has enough horses where they can go toe-to-toe or at least hang in that football game. Will they win? And I don't know, but I'm not going to count them out because I've done that before and they've won. And once they get into the rest of the non-conference and conference schedule – I'm curious who, even if they give it up, giving up 21 or 25 or 28 points a game, are you gonna? Who's gonna be able to keep their offense below 40? I, right. You know, sometimes that's what I start asking the question is. And again, injuries can change things in a hurry, and uh, you know that that's the one factor that you can never understand. Sometimes is is injuries, and the Bison have you know very fortunately the last two years, all five offensive linemen have started every game the last two years. And that is very rare in, in the trenches. So that, that's that been a big key of why they've been so successful and why they've been able to maintain so much dominance on that side of the ball. But, uh, you know, you got to like what they what they have on that side of it. And I'm sure there's some guys that, that over this offseason have, have taken some steps forward and will be ready to contribute. And I think when I look at the, you know, the Kansas State game and – Iowa going into those matchups I there was a level of uncertainty because like you said can they hang in there um they certainly got I think the mentality uh and this is obviously before we know what the outcomes of those games were I've always thought that if NDSU is able to go into that fourth quarter so I would say the last five minutes of the third going into the fourth quarter within earshot I think it's anybody's ball game and I am going to take that same approach with Oregon I know that Oregon is a you know as and this is no disrespect to Iowa and to Kansas State but Oregon overall is a I think a little bit of a different animal um, than maybe we remember I think there's you know they kind of they were kind of a period there where Oregon was rebuilding. They had a lot of young guys. They were trying to kind of find their way uh, back to what I think a lot of us had gotten accustomed to was them being right at the top um, uh, among the premier college football programs. And I think they're reaching that point again. I think maybe they're a season still away from uh, really, I, I guess, wreaking havoc on on those on those other programs. You know, Alabama and and Georgia and, and programs have, uh, that have had a lot of success in the last couple years. But in my opinion, if NDSU goes into that game and they grind it out, that's one thing that NDSU, you know, and it's it's not sexy football. I've always said that watching an NDSU game, you're not going to 
be, I guess, necessarily blown away all the time that you might see in a in a shootout game against, you know, Oklahoma and Texas Tech or, you know, where it's just you literally throw the ball up in any direction and somebody's running into the end zone. NDSU has always uh, adopted that pro-style approach uh, of offense where they grind it out. It's turn the clock, you know, get your defense worn out. And for any program, that takes a toll. And I think if you're within earshot going into the fourth quarter, man, it will be very interesting to see how it finishes because you got to think going into a fourth quarter, you maybe have two, three possessions at most. So if you score on two of those three or, and you're able to hold and, you know, get it down to a field goal situation. So then anything can happen. I I think it's going to be really interesting if, if this pans out the way that we're all hoping. I know, like I said, there's some trepidation on why they're NDSU is even going to get the opportunity to travel out there if uh, if the state of Oregon is, you know, not, I don't want to say able to host the game, but if the, if the uh, governor decides that it's not within um, the state's, you know, health guidelines right now. So crossing our fingers. Brian, before we wrap up tonight, I, I want, I always do a little kind of a unique end of the show segment. Um, I did this with Dexter and, and some other guests and tonight I kind of switched it up. So I'm going to put you in a situation here, uh, kind of the desert Island game, but on this desert Island, you managed to save yourself a TV and some sort of electrical power. So my question is, uh, you can watch three sporting events for the rest of your time on, on this Island. What three events do you choose? And if you want, so I can, you you know, I can give you some time here to think. I can tell you what my three that I chose that I would uh, be fine watching for, for the rest of my time on this desert island, if you will. I chose for my, the first event was game six of the 1998 NBA Finals, uh, you know, which we all know is uh, M- MJ beats Utah to claim his sixth title. The Last Dance documentary, which I'm sure you uh, took in really highlighted um, just how incredible that moment was. I mean, there was a lot of moments in MJ's career that I think uh, you said wow too. But to win the game in that fashion, uh, given what he was trying to chase, which was that sixth title, that one that's a game that all whenever I get maybe bored or something, I go to YouTube, I watch highlights of that game. My second one was the Game 7 of the 2006 NBA Finals, uh, uh, Cleveland versus uh, Golden State, and that incredible block, you know, the block that heard around the world, and uh, LeBron able to deliver his uh, promise to Cleveland after 52 years. That was a game that I still, uh, with the absence of the NBA right now, uh, find myself re-watching highlights, and especially the last few minutes of that game, which was incredible. Um, and then, you know, I've had the, the uh, really fortunate luck to be able to go down to Texas a few times to watch NDSU play. And the game that I tend to revert back to, the one that sticks out the most, I mean, they've all been incredible, um, is the, uh, but the one that sticks out for me is the 2015 FCS championship game. Um, NDSU beats Illinois State 29-27 to capture its fourth consecutive championship. And I'll tell you, Brian, I was sitting behind 
the offense when uh, NDSU was driving to take the lead late in that game. And I believe it was either second or third down throw by Carson. And I happened to be right behind him when he went back into his drop back. And he th- put this ball on a com- on a line that I when it left his hand and in, in the direction that it was going, I thought he was throwing it to no one in the middle of the field. There was nobody within uh, 15 yards of where this ball was headed. And next thing I know, I can't remember who caught the pass, um, but the, our receiver comes in the picture and just snatches this ball out of the air. And I and I thought, I knew there was moments that Carson Wentz had flashes of his NFL ability, but that was one throw that stuck out in my mind um, where it was like, this guy can spin it and he can spin it fast and accurately so that's my three events um hopefully i gave you enough time to to think of three off the top of your head what would be your uh your three events Man, that's hard. Um, and that catch was by Urzendowski, by the way. Yeah. He made three unbelievable catches in that last drive as a true freshman um, in that game. I'll never forget that either. That was just that was just wild. Um, for me, uh, Game 7, 1991 World Series, Twins, uh, Braves, that was uh, a special game. Man. That's a good one. I mean, that was a special game between uh, John Smoltz and Jack Morris pitching it out in the way they – the way they won that game and, and the way everything went, and even just to get to there from, from game six, like it in the home run and, and extra innings to, to force a game seven. But uh, that was just a special, uh, that was a special year with that team of misfits they put together that they were able to, to win that championship in 91 was really cool. So that one, that's one for me for sure. Um, boy, you know, it, it's hard, you know, with all the NDSU games, like the one to me that still stands out, um, uh, with all the NDSU events, and, and I know the football games were all there, and, I, and I've and i had a chance to pretty much see them all live, which is awesome. But to me, the, the game that I still can't believe sometimes when I watch the way it unfolded and happened was 2014, NDSU-Oklahoma NCAA tournament first round mm. when the Bison yeah. won that game and uh, put themselves in the national spotlight by upsetting a team in the NCAA tournament that will always go down to me as the biggest win in, in NDSU athletics history. And people say, well, you know, what about the football championships and the, and the FBS wins? And I'm like, yeah, and those are huge too. Like those are one, a one, B one C. Like I, I don't want to downplay those because those are national championships. Those mean a lot. Those, those right. are big deals. And, and we've seen some unbelievable performances and great games, but the March Madness is on a different level, man, because that is in the postseason. That is when everybody's watching. That is that tournament to me is is like the the biggest event in itself. You know that that four weeks in March over anything else. Yeah. So for me, that's where I just think that game on that stage in that situation. I hope people appreciated that because winning a game in the NCAA tournament as a 12 seed from North Dakota State, that was a big deal, right? That that was a a huge, huge thing for me um, to, to see that, and that'll always stand out to me. And I'll tell you the other one that really stands out, and this is another basketball game, but it's kind of where I'm at, is, is the 2009 Summit League Tournament Championship, and that stands out, and I'm like, think about 
the circumstances around this with NDSU. Yeah. They're first year eligible. A bunch of guys that have never played a conference tournament before. They have one shot at it and they find a way. You know, they find a way to win down double digits in the first half. Not playing it didn't well. Look good. I haven't texted my boss. I'm like, well, we better get ready for an NIT game somewhere because there's no Andy issues coming back to win this game. Yeah. To win it the way Woodside did, to go to the tournament, to go to Kansas, to play in front of 10,000 fans, that put, I think, that gave us all the first taste of what March Madness was. We didn't really know what it was around here in this region until that team showed us what it was. And that was awesome. Like, that, that to me will always be one of those games where I, I'll never forget where I was. I was standing on the same side, Woodside hit the shot in the corner not too far from the bench. And I was watching with Gene Taylor, the athletic director at mm-hmm. the time. And when he hit that shot, we both cheered, which we shouldn't have been doing, but we were, you know, not too far away. And then when the shot was off the mark and they won, uh, I'll never forget, Gene and I standing next to each other, gave each other this huge hug, which at that time <laughs> as a media member, I really shouldn't have been hugging anybody right. from NDSU. I should have been covering the event, getting video. But uh, I'll never forget that. And we were just screaming, yeah. And I'd never seen Gene so excited before. He was just screaming at the top of his lungs and jumping up and down. And uh, that, so to me, that will always stand out just because of, of the experience of that. So those would be my three. The the emotion that was, behind, like, from any perspective of that game was incredible. I, uh, and I meant, Dexter and I had a chance to chat about this um, previously, but I remember having the same doubts that you did, Brian. I was like, you know, the first half was like rough. I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, this is really cool for our program and I and I hope we can build on this, you know, and I was such a uh, Ben Woodside fan and still am, um, but man, he was a ball player. And the way that that second half unfolded and all of a sudden you could see this momentum rising and rising and rising and Woodside I I was like literally on my hands and knees in our in my parents living room watching this game and I jumped up so high I think I don't think I don't think I've ever jumped that high in my life when he hit that uh jumper to give us the lead it was I mean it was a euphoric moment that I like I said there's been other games that I've had a chance to watch and really love and enjoy but that's that, and that's also the moment when Woodside hit that shot that I really had. It really had solidified my um, want to to go to NDSU for school. Um, I had, you know, seen a lot of other programs and you know looked into them, but just the emotion and the kind of this menta- this underdog mentality in that moment is what just I'm like I got to be a part of that or you know I want to I want to see games uh like these later and that Woodside shot was incredible and then obviously gave Kansas everything that they could handle um I mean when you go back and watch that game NDSU is right there I mean for the majority of that game I think what did Woodside end with he had 37 37 yeah so yeah, I was courtside for that game, and I, I, I'll never forget looking over at Bill Self yelling at his assistants every time Woodside score off a high screen roll. <laughs> well, and I think for you know Bill Self and in, in a Kansas program, obviously, which is a blue blood of the college football programs, uh, to have this school out of the Midwest that um, 
is making their first ever appearance and and you've got this uh guy named Ben Woodside who I'm you know obviously uh scouting report would tell you he's a he's an incredible player and and that entire team was was really good um but Woodside was the guy that you paid the most attention to um I'm sure it caught him off guard I mean I I would venture to guess that uh I don't want to say they overlooked us in any any way because the as we've seen with the NCAA tournament, anything can happen. Um, but you have to believe with a program entering its first ever tournament of that magnitude on that level, uh, you you maybe wouldn't expect them to respond that the way they did. And, and NDSU did that. So those are, those are some awesome choices. I would, uh, I would say any one of the, of the ones that we picked out tonight, you, you couldn't go wrong. I mean, really there's been so many great performances and, and games, and I think that's one thing. Being a part of this program and just having uh, the ability to to watch it as a whole has been uh, pretty great. Brian, I want to uh, really thank you again for coming on tonight. We, um, I, I know, like I said, right now you're maybe not as busy, but I know you'll be busy. So um, I wanted to to chat with you before, uh, like you said, you're running around with your head cut off and uh, <laughs> trying to keep your days straight and all those things. So again thank you for being on tonight yeah good to be with you Blaine. i appreciate uh, appreciate the time and catching up man um you you said you're headed on a, a vacation here gonna get some r&r yeah we're heading out to uh alexandria just to hang out on the lake for five or six days and just chill out a different you know a little bit of different scenery sure and, you know look out the window and see the lake and i think just uh just some r&r to hopefully you know, kind of get us, uh, get our minds straight, get my daughter in the lake a little bit and have some fun and enjoy some family time by the campfire and, and just have some good quality family time. You know, that, and that was a good time to do that. And then we'll come back and, you know, have a short week with the holiday and, you know, and then hopefully look forward to, uh, to a couple more nice summer months here in July well, and August. Well, I, I speak for a lot of us and, and say you, you deserve it. And, and we, uh, we hope we can see you back on the sidelines soon, Brian. I, I, uh, yeah. I really hope we can, uh, like I said, look forward to that, and it should be uh, should be exciting nonetheless. Absolutely, man. You bet. All right. Well, you take care and, and give my best to the family, and stay safe out there. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. you too.